I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Stompcast with me, Dr. Alex George. This is the podcast where I go for a walk with a guest to take a little wander into their life. This week, I'm stomping with Emily English, or, as you may know her, M, the nutritionist. Emily is a nutritionist with a degree from the prestigious King's College London. Born into a family of generations of cooks, M has developed an ethos that marries the science of food with a passion for the food on our plates. She coined the phrase, so good, because she feels that food is about how it makes us feel, not the numbers. I'm hoping to discover a new way to consider our relationship with food, how to spot one of the most common mental health issues, eating disorders, and to get some simple tips to improve your health and diet. Across the three parts of this episode, we're going to talk about how to spot and manage disordered eating and evaluate a relationship with food, how to reset your relationship with food, and some of the easy ways you can improve your health and diet right now, with some significant myth-busting involved. I'm looking forward to this one. Let's get started. Welcome to the Stompcast, uh, Emily. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for, for joining me. We're very excited to have you on the podcast. In particular, we have, um, uh, she's going to kick me straight away for saying this, we've got producer Charlie on the, on the Stompcast today, who follows your content and enjoys it. And as of I, as of I for a good while now, and I've been trying to not only book you in for this, to hear you know, your ideas and thoughts around relationship with food and so on, but also to get you to come along to <laughs> do an I hate cooking with me, because uh, I think you can teach me a few things, right? I mean, do you like cooking or can well, you cook? I, the irony is I'm enjoying cooking a lot more now. Yeah. Um, but the joke is I always say I hate, I hate cooking. Yeah. Um, I think I enjoy cooking when it's for someone else. And that's the kind of thing. It's like the, it's like you've, it's like the act of service almost. It's quite a yeah. nice thing to do to cook uh, for someone else. Um, we were hoping, I mean, that bag looks quite small you're carrying. I was hoping you're going to bring some of that pie that you cooked <laughs> last night. Because you made a very tasty pie last there night, There are no we? leftovers, unfortunately. We demolished the whole thing. Yeah, but we I... were hopeful you might bring some of that pie, but oh, never mind. I'm sorry. Next time, next time. I find it funny, like what you just said, actually, because so many people say, oh, I love cooking for others and, and I show it as an act of love. But why do we not show that act of love to ourselves? And I sometimes find we have this massive disconnect between an area of self-love, which actually is the medium of food and nutrition. Mm, mm, absolutely. Well, let's, well, it's a perfect place uh, to start. So as I've said in the introduction, I think we really want to kind of hone in on a few areas. First of all, thinking about yeah, that relationship with food and, and particularly from a disordered eating aspect, because we hear eating disorders a lot. Mm -hmm. Disordered eating is a little different. So let's think about what the distinction is and, and perhaps how people can unpick parts of their own relationships with food. In part two, we'll dive a little bit into um, you know, ways in which you can reset that relationship. In part three, some more actionable advice uh, looking forward. So let's start from that perspective of relationship then. So you're saying that actually it's an act of self-love to ourselves. So why does food actually feel like 
a punishment a lot of the time. Because I think a lot of the time food can feel like either something you're restricting um, and you're worried about having too much of. We feel guilty about eating lots of foods. Sometimes it feels like a real chore. And even sometimes we hate cooking, yeah. as I did. So yeah, maybe we can start from that point. Why do we have such a... It seems that you know, a lot of us have such a, a difficult relationship with food. Where does that come from? I think it's really important to remember that there's not a one-size-fits-all approach, but what we're often fed is this black and white image of good or bad foods. And there are so many opinions in the world of health and well-being. I mean, all you have to do is go on social media now, flick through 10 videos, and there will always be a, a contrasting statement from one influencer versus the other. So I think we end up getting in this spiral and this confusion of all of this information out there that we end up feeling lost on ourselves and food stops becoming food it becomes rules yeah. and it becomes ideas and it becomes oh I should do this or I shouldn't do this and that's why I always try and bring everything back to joy and what makes you feel good what makes you feel happy and as I said earlier like self-love through food is something that's really powerful and important and so so many of us become disconnected with the food on our plate and we become obsessed with creating these regulations and these barriers and these boundaries and that's where the guilt comes in. So if we think about disordered eating, it's, it's a spectrum of everything really and there's, there's no one person who will have the same relationship with food and that's also okay. And we need to start normalising, not this like generalised perception of this is how everyone should be eating. We should be encouraging people to create their own paths with health. Like if you want to wake up and cold plunge, but then maybe, I don't know, eat something like eat, eat jam on toast, then it doesn't matter. Like it, it, you don't have to kind of be everything or not do it at all. If, you, if it's not perfect, it doesn't mean So you're that. saying that people are looking too much in a kind of binary way of like, yeah. that kind of idea of like a good diet, a bad diet. There doesn't seem to be any nuance Black and white. to it, does it? No. Like the kind of, you know, no, people get very obsessed about the individual meals, don't they? That kind of idea that, you know, a bad meal doesn't make a good diet and a good meal doesn't make a good diet, yeah. does it necessarily? It's and kind of... Even the thing with like the pie last night, I get comments and messages being like, pie is not healthy, pastry is not healthy. Why do you use white refined flour? And it's, it's this idea that as a nutritionist, I either have to do everything perfectly, which doesn't even exist, but, and if I don't, then it's not right. Well, the irony is perfect would actually probably lean more towards an unhealthy relationship in the food sense, right? Because perfect might, need, might mean, you know, not engaging, going out for dinner and stuff like that, not meeting friends, not enjoying, celebrations that like if it can when things become restrictive per se or shall we say the control becomes very high often there is a payout to that isn't there like it affects other areas of your life i mean you look at this way like look at athletes and performance athletes who are working towards a specific goal they all say like you know like michael phelps would say like i had to eat like seven thousand calories a day like eat so much food of certain foods that you couldn't go out for dinner unless he knew that you could get what he needed there it affects your whole life and that's for an athletic purpose right but as soon as you start kind of hone those things and try and reach reach optimization there's always i think there's always a sense of sacrifice and the question is 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 it really worth it then at that point 
You know, I, is, is I think it, it worth depends it? on your profession, but I mean, most athletes will have some sort of level of disordered eating. Same with a lot of actors. You'll find that a lot, a lot of actors who play parts and roles and they have to change their body and go on extreme diets, it ends up becoming this weird place of, of control and comfort control. And it's where a lot of eating disorders stem from, really. It's this whole kind of psychological control mechanism. But I mean, from, if we're talking about someone in their day-to-day -day life, the, the client who reached out to me and now she feels guilty for going out for dinner and she stresses about what she should choose, it, those small things do not matter. And I think if we're trying to break out of this disordered, uh, if we're trying to break out this disordered eating relationship with food, then we need to normalize the fact that one small thing does not account for your whole health. We need to look at our well-being as a bigger picture. It's the majority, it's a beautiful art of balance. It's color, not calories. And those are the things that will actually start to make a difference. And I love to use a tip of like a bird's eye view perspective where you kind of home out of, of yourself or you look at yourself as if you're watching yourself on a movie. Play what you're going through as if you're watching yourself on screen and it helps you create a little bit more rationale about why you're getting stressed over something that actually doesn't matter. But Great we fall into those, those cycles just naturally with the, the world that we live in now. It's interesting to look at from that point as well. I actually had a journalist ask me yesterday, because I was, I was, we were talking about all sorts of things, but we were talk, I was talking a little bit about my weight, and I, you know, I've lost like six stone or so in the last year and a bit. And she said, well, what was, what was the one thing? What was it? I said, well, it, it isn't one thing. Was it, you know, they're trying to say, was it the alcohol? I said, well, it's all hand in hand. I said, you know, I stopped drinking. I started eat, filling my plate with food that fueled my body. I started moving a lot more. I started, you know, doing therapy. I started respecting my body. All of those things individually, you can't pick out one thing no. that resulted in, in the same way, if you look at, say, happiness as a metric or peace, you can't pick one thing in someone's life that fixed it. Same with medication. I mean, I talk a lot about post your pill and anti-stigma stuff around medication, but I also say, like, taking medication isn't going to fix your life. It might be the 10% difference that gives you the, the strength and the, the feeling that you can then make other changes, but mm. it's not the one thing. Like, I think sometimes we really do in society look for that individual fact. What's the magic trick for this? Everyone wants the magic Quick bullet. Fix, yeah. And I think that's one of the biggest issues with nutrition mm. is that everyone looks, they come to me when I see a client, they say, what, sh what can I do? Mm. What can I take? How should, how should I eat? But then I ask them, who are you? Like, what's your culture? What do you love to eat? What's your, what's your life setting? Like, do you live with a family? Are you a parent? Are you a, a student who's just graduated? All of these things will have influential factors of what makes up the right lifestyle for you. And I'm always a massive advocate for micro habits when it comes to health and nutrition. It's why I will wake up and I will have something green or some sort of shake or something that puts me in a mindset that makes me feel good it's why i'll spend a little bit of time on my yoga mat stretching and or journaling or doing just some sort of wellness habit because that will those tiny things can uh, shift your mindset and if you shift your mindset that's where the biggest steps and the more accumulative change comes from it's and kind it, of like the, the, the idea of optimism versus pessimism like yeah. the, they say optimists well they, 
studies show optimists live longer than pessimists because as soon as you have shifted your mindset to a positive view of your life, yeah. your habits and your decision making follow that of an optimist, whereas a pessimist will make more pessimistic decisions and a pessimistic view of their own health, their food and everything. So I guess that follows what you're saying, right? Yeah, I'm, it's kind of like gratitude, isn't it? If you mm. practice gratitude and you change the way that you speak to yourself, and I think if anyone's going through kind of a slight identity crisis or they're struggling with their relationship with food, change how you speak to yourself and change the language that you use around food. Don't say cheat days, don't say I feel so guilty, don't say naughty. Uh, like, try and just think of nourishment, balance, lightness. Like this is gonna energize me. Oh, this makes me feel so happy. And the ability that we can move our bodies we do have the freedom we live in a a, a a world that enables us to access so many wonderful things when it comes to our health and, and encourage you to explore that in a more positive frame of mind and that will make such a big difference absolutely so with that view in mind then let's consider this kind of thought of what is the kind of difference between disordered eating and eating disorders it's very it is a very i say this in the knowledge that it's a very uh, complex and there's a lot of grey in between but let's just kind of just lightly touch upon that and then let's move on to consider how someone can spot some of that them, themselves. I think it's important to distinguish because I think there's a little bit of black and white thinking is either I have uh, anorexia nervosa or either I have uh, bulimia or etc or I don't so, I, so either I'm healthy or I have an extremely unhealthy relationship with food so where's the grey within that and what are the differences between those kind of two broad categories? So, I mean, clinical eating disorders tend to be a lot more extreme and, and life-threatening. Um, it will, anorexia, for example, where the, the subject cannot eat or the fear of eating, the fear of food. Uh, bulimia, where the, the subject is, is unable to kind of not uh, throw up. Um, yeah, so binging. Binging, purging, purging binging, yeah. that cycle. And then we have this kind of really mixed grey area where we get a lot of... Not a, not a hybrid, but a kind of a combination of of them. And this is why I would always say that eating disorders are a spectrum and they're very, very unique to the person. The same way that any sort of anxiety or depression, although it's a one big category, the way it's expressed and the way people uh, deal with it and cope with it is, is different for, for that person. And disordered eating are kind of small restrictions and habits and regulations which don't necessarily coincide with drastic life-threatening weight loss but they manifest very much in that mental state so you often find these people being very nervous around social situations it's very uh, life restricting um, it changes the way that they're able to go from their, their normal day to days um, whether, whereas eating disorders obviously are something that are incredibly serious and should so, be... So what we're kind of almost then saying is that if we sit on a, a spectrum, I kind of, in a way I, I view mental health as a very similar thing, like you've got the spectrum of mental health, perfect on one end, which very, very few people have that and very, you know, most people won't have that all the time, all the way to severe illness on the other end. What we're saying then really is that with the relationship with food, disordered eating sits somewhere between a kind of balanced relationship and say severe eating disorders kind of moving in that direction where things are becoming perhaps more of an issue but aren't necessarily overtly causing such a clinical manifestation where it's kind of becoming obvious say to family or things like that yeah. right is that fair very fair to say and i think it's important to remember that if one thing will affect someone in a way that 
restricts them, the same thing can actually be something that helps regulate and right. make someone feel very comfortable. Yeah, so right. if someone is Good a bit point. of a, a health nut and mm. they they want to follow a paleo diet and they want any sugar or grains in, in their lifestyle and and that that's what makes them happy, but they feel very content and joyous in themselves, then they are allowed to go and follow that. And I think there's so much opinion of what people should or shouldn't be doing via anyone in the health industry that we don't actually encourage enough people to find their own way and find their own feet in it. And I think in in the next year, like I really hope that we see a shift in these heavy-based opinions from these health professionals. It's really a good point because what you're saying, if, if I may, yeah. is that it's perhaps we're getting so caught up in the how that we're missing the why. So yeah. the why is the bit that really matters because what might be negatively impacting one person's life might be empowering others. They might have, so it's, it's really, we should be thinking about the why and the outcome, perhaps exactly. less about what's in the middle. 
kindly and with compassion evaluate some of that relationship they may have. Well, I'll use myself as an example. So when I was 17, I used to work in the fashion industry. I was a model and I was critiqued about my weight and it was like a light switch that went off and I suddenly became obsessed with the number of calories in my food, how to lose weight, these rules and regulations, these restrictions. And I, at the time, it was one of those it was one of those eras where the health food trends became really popular. So a lot of people were making subbing pasta for courgette ribbons, making their own bread and just using kind of nuts and seeds and buckwheat flour. So, I mean, I think I was Holland and Barrett's best customer. But there was this moment in summer where my mum had made me a cheese roll. She made everyone a cheese roll. So there was seven cheese rolls all around the table, butter, lovely brown pap, lettuce, tomato, whatever, just a normal sandwich. She put it down in front of me and I remember having this full mental breakdown because I couldn't physically eat this cheese roll. And that for me was the moment that I became suddenly so aware that all of these habits and these rules and these, I can't eat this, I can't do that, were not normal. Because I couldn't sit around a dining table and enjoy a cheese roll with my family. And I always think if someone take, if something takes away more then it gives your life, then it is a negative thing. Mm -hmm. So if Very these wise. rules and these restrictions that you're putting into place that you feel are protecting you or making you healthier or it's gonna promise you all of these golden lights that you're gonna feel amazing, if you feel like it's subtracting more from your life with the joy, with those moments that bring you happiness around food than it's giving, then I think that's a, a true sign that you need to change and create a little bit more balance in, in what you're doing. Is that why you use the phrase, phrase so good, which is going to be the title of your, your book? Yeah. Is, that, is, that, is that deliberate? Is that, is that, the, is that a, a nod to joy? Exactly. So good is that expression of when you eat something that is so delicious. You look at whoever you're sharing it with, whether it be someone you love, do you just be yourself and you just say, oh, that is so good. Yeah. And that's what I love my food to kind of encompass. Because mm. I am a nutritionist. I love, I love feeling my best. I love eating food that makes me feel energized and bright and ready to go. I love creating food that makes that makes your body run efficiently, but I also love creating food that is delicious. Because mm. I guess if your food, if your if your diet, and by diet, I mean we, we as scientists, we, we, we by diet we mean what you're eating. Because yeah. the, the, the shame is, we, diet culture has ruined the word diet really. Yeah. Diet, all diet means what you eat. It doesn't tell you anything other than the fact you're, it's the food you're eating, right? That's all that diet means. So, you know, when I think your food you're eating is either making you feel bad about yourself, distressed, lack of energy, affecting your life, or that relationship with food is impacting, say, your relationship with yourself more broadly, but also people around you and your lifestyle, it's time to think. I mean, I remember, I remember in my med school, I went through a phase of being really restrictive, like, really restrictive, training way too much. And I was doing, like, exams. I could hardly think. You know, yeah. my brain was, I was having brain fog, I couldn't, couldn't focus and all this kind of thing. And, and I look back now, and think, gosh, you know, like, I was trying to to do something really stressful while giving my body, putting my body in a position of weakness almost. Yeah, because sometimes we don't think about that food is literally our life force. Yeah. <laughs> food is the thing. Sugar that gives our brain, allows our brain to work. Our brain runs off sugar, it mm. needs it. And of course, like sugar 
in moderation if we can choose those lovely slow release carbs where possible then we can feed our brain in a bit more of a sustained way but if we need a quick little pick-me-up then having a bar of dairy milk isn't going to kill you and i think it's really important just to like normalize these things because if i sat there and put a chocolate bar on my story i guarantee i'll have a bombardment mm. of messages of people saying that i'm a bad nutritionist and i think that is what is what is wrong with mm. the nutrition space and also i'd say just to add to that as well you know my experience and i and i've always talked about loving your body and your skin and who you are regardless of your size now i've lost obviously a lot of weight and, and very few but some have said well, hang on, you were saying about loving your skin and your body or loving who you are when you were, you know, 20 stone. I'm like, yes, absolutely. You should love yourself at 20 stone, 18 stone, whatever weight you are, whatever size you are. It's about, it's, it's kind of missing the entire point. The external is the manifestation of the internal. And for me, that is whatever weight I am now. That, that, that is that, that manifestation for me. It doesn't mean I'm worth any more or less when I'm bigger or smaller. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I think it's so ingrained within us that people think, oh, well, there you go then when he was that size. Yeah. Like he didn't love himself. Of course, I'm very aware at that time that I, was, I wasn't at a healthy weight. And I can say that I spoke to my cardiologist <laughs> at the time. I did actually need to, to, to lose weight, but it doesn't mean that person should be any less valued internally or by people around them. Exactly. Do you know, do you know what I mean? And but I, I mean, think that's, that's, that's what that's really starts. important. Like it starts there. It starts from, healing your relationship with yourself mm. and healing your relationship with food. And if you could do those two things, then I, I genuinely believe that you can achieve anything in your, your nutrition journey that you want to, because it comes from a place of love. Yeah. Start from the internal and kindness and that, that however that is expressed. So, so my, my the other way I would put it is that my internal my internal kind of treatment and kindness or the way that I was looking after myself, my new relationship with food, that could have expressed in all number of different sizes and shapes. Mm. So it's not the outcome, you're seeing the outcome, whatever that may be, of what I'm doing internally. Exactly. I don't know if I'm really explaining no, that. No, it's well super enough, but, clear. But it's kind of like that, that, that is the way that I see it. So whether that's me at 17 stone or 15 stone or whatever weight, it, it is just the expression of the focusing on that internal stuff. So I think it is, it's just such an important note to, to, for us to really start on, because I think until, until you're able to kind of look at your own relationship with food and really have a kind view of where you're at, you can't make changes, can you, no. really? Or at least the changes you might make might be for the wrong reasons. But you're doing it because you feel like it's what you should do rather than you what you actually want to do and there are many voices in our heads <laughs> and sometimes the disordered eating voice can become quite prominent and you can get quite used to it but the one thing and the one thing that therapy really helped me do was carve out my voice out of all of those voices who am i and what do i want and of course there is a balance i'm <laughs> of course sometimes we want a pizza every single night but i'm probably not going to have a pizza every single night because i know the way that's going to make me feel yeah isn't how I want to feel yeah. and it's it's I said it before and I say it again it's the beautiful art of balance well, there's, there's that point I guess that there's 365 days in the year isn't one yeah. day yeah right so just as we come to end of part one then so if someone is sat here thinking right okay um you know I've listened to what you've both said there's a few things that you know I don't know maybe maybe my relationship isn't where I want it to be is there a little bit of advice for people I mean you mentioned therapy there being you know perhaps one of the things to consider but just initially is there a way that people can have a look or a t like a method people can have a look at their own relationship maybe to kind of think about it 
you know, and, and be able to go, well, yes, actually, there is something I want to work on here. I think writing things down is really powerful because mm -hmm. so often we can go through life and we can go through the motions and we can get very used to habits and routines. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you write down your goals and make sure that they're your goals, and if that is weight loss for you, that's fine. Mm -hmm. Just because weight loss is very triggering for mm. one person doesn't mean that it's going to be triggering for another. Mm. Um, but just really try and, and look in yourself and what makes you happy. What brings you joy? What do you want your life to look like in the next five, ten years? And what do, you, what do you want your relationship with food to look like in the next five to ten years? Do you want to try and eat healthier? Do you want to get more fruits and veggies in? Do you want to make a conscious effort to improve your gut health? Do you want to reduce your intake of ultra-processed foods? That's fine, but make sure that if you are an absolute die-hard pizza lover, yeah. that you don't kind of pigeonhole the pizza and make it an enemy. Nothing I love is pizza, an enemy. Man. I can tell anyone, if you're going to New York, make sure you go to Angelo's Pizza in New York. <laughs> Any die-hard pizza lovers out there. there. Do you like a down. pizza? I love a uh, pizza. Angelo's Pizza in, in New York, best pizza in the world, in my opinion. I went, I, I, we created, me and my friend, we, we created like five of the best New York pizzas. Um, this pizza app that like rates them. Um, and it was like nine point something. It's like ridiculously high. And we ate all the five like top ones. And Angelo's was the best one. It's by um, Central, it's Central Park, South Central Park, near where the Apple is. And you look at it and you think, oh, it's just a normal pizza place. Yep. But when you eat it, unbelievable. So don't sacrifice the pizza. Don't sacrifice the pizza. Yeah, just, just be clear with, with what makes you happy and also respect your goals. So, so push yourself, challenge yourself, be the best version of yourself, but do it from a place yeah. of love and kindness yeah. and growth. So stop for a minute, have a look at things, write down what you, what, how you feel, some of the words you associate with your diet in relationship with food. Maybe have a think about that. what I, said, I think you said was great. There's looking outwardly, what do you want your life to look like broadly? What, what is it that you care? What brings you, brings you joy? And maybe then have a little think about some of the steps you might want to take. You know, reading up on things is helpful. Of course, when your book comes out, definitely a good place uh, to start. Um, you know, thinking about, well, is there broader issues that I might want to dig into? You know, are the things that I've been told when I was younger, you know, experiences you might have had, things, you mentioned the modeling industry, but people can face bullying and so on. Other things that a therapist might help with, right? So just kind of gently going through it. Thank you so much. We'll come to the end of part one. Uh, in part two, we're going to have a little talk about how to kind of reset that relationship. So if once you've done a bit of a look at where you're at at the moment, how you can kind of move forward with some of the positive lessons, mindset and processes, I guess, to kind of build that relationship from a solid foundation. Right. See you all in part two soon. Goodbye. If you're looking for more mental fitness content, check out my book, The Mind Manual, Mental Fitness Tools for Everyone and a Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Better Day in the Better Day Journal for Children. And if you have a man in your life, or indeed if you're a man listening to this, make sure you check out Metal, the app, M-E-T-T-L-E, -T -T -E, mental fitness tools that are designed for men. Download now.